0: Hello everyone and uh, welcome to this new episode of our Pacific Talks where I engage in active conversations with my guests to talk about the challenges of our world and seeing them through a Pacific lens. Today I am very pleased to welcome to the show Joanna Finch. Uh, She's graduated from the University of Auckland as the first Pacific woman in history with a degree in mechatronic engineering. I have no idea what it is but she will tell us more about it. Uh, She's also a writer, she's a speaker, encouraging the younger generation towards a career in engineering. And uh, we will talk to her about uh, this very specific field, the place of women in the Pacific and in tech also, and all those very interesting uh, topics. Uh, So first, let me introduce uh, Joanna. Joanna, welcome to Pacific Talks.
1: Joanna, Philippe, and thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. Um, So, Joanna, you've recently made the news in the region uh, by becoming, as I was saying, the first Pacific woman to earn a degree in mechatronic engineering. Uh, But you've also recently published your first uh, children's book. And you also have been, I've discovered that, uh, Miss South Pacific. So uh, the list is without any specific order, uh, but that's quite a diverse background. So to help our audience know more a little bit about you, can you just tell us a little bit of about yourself and what you've uh, accomplished so far in your life.
1: Sure. Um, Well, where do I start? Uh, Right from the beginning, I guess. Um, I'm the eldest of three children and was raised on the island of Rarotonga, uh, which is the capital of the Cook Islands. Mm -hmm. Um, Rarotonga is only 32 kilometers in perimeter. So some would say it was a small world living there. Um, However, I've always felt differently. Though the island was small, the experiences and opportunities that were available to me as a child were vast. Um, so just to give you an idea, here are some of the things that I was able to do as a child living in the Cooks. Um, I grew up playing tennis, netball, karate, and later oivaka. I belonged to an after-school library group, and I think at one stage I was also taking piano lessons. <laughs> I... Got to experience being an exchange student in Kamehameha High School um, in Hawaii. I got to represent the Cook Islands in the Children's Millennium Festival that was held in New Zealand, that was fun. I got to compete in the Waka'ama World Championships, Um, also held in Aotearoa. Uh, I modeled resort wear at at weekly fashion shows from a young age and Mm -hmm. competed in triathlons. And as a Cook Island dancer, like many young people in Raro, performing at resorts in front of large crowds was a regular thing, uh, which really helped with one's self-confidence. There were also numerous traveling opportunities to to promote our paradise. Uh, Cook Cook Island Dancing took me to the Edinburgh Tattoo Festival in Scotland and at another event in Taipei, Taiwan. And then joining Miss Cook Islands then took me to Papua New Guinea to compete for the Miss South Pacific title. And then around the Pacific, after I was blessed with that title. So, um, sorry, not to rant, but my point is, though Rarotonga, the island itself, was small, the life that I was able to live growing up there was big. Hmm. Uh, So by the time I started a degree in engineering at the University of Auckland, I wasn't really swayed by the lack of Polynesian faces in the engineering faculty. Um, Sure, it felt a bit strange and was a stark contrast to the home island scenery. But I believe, thanks to my Cook Islands upbringing, I had a good level of self-confidence and self-esteem. And looking back, I realized that because I had that attitude, I was never really disheartened or discouraged when faced with a challenge. Instead, I was adamant that I was 100% capable of finding a solution. And it was only a matter of committing the time and effort required. Mm -hmm. I really, really enjoyed my engineering degree. There was so much new, new knowledge to learn. And I was hungry for it. Engineering to me is science and application. Mm -hmm. Science teaching you how our physical world works and the application side showing you how you can make this work for you. Um, And to me, that part was the exciting part. I felt I was being equipped with the skills to be a maker of things. And that right there, I've now identified as a key component to being happy in life. at least for me anyway. um, My first engineering job was as an electrical draftsman producing circuit schematics for power and control networks. It wasn't long before I progressed to being a low-level controls engineer, where I was actually uh, designing those networks and programming uh, PLCs, sorry, uh, programmable logic controllers, uh, which are the industrial rated Uh, computers, basically, uh, to control machines. Um, The best part about that role, I believe, was getting to travel overseas to commission projects. In my opinion, uh, being a commissioning engineer is one of the best jobs you can have as a young adult because of the challenges that come with it and the travel. Um, The company then lost their lead SCADA engineer and i put up my hand to take his place uh, s- sorry uh SCADA stands for supervisory control and data acquisition which is just a fancy name for the graphical user interface that factories use to control and monitor their system um all right. <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah. oh, that's all uh, but... good uh
0: engineering <laughs> language is uh, lingo is always uh, yeah. quite
1: something. yes stop, stop me to explain but you know yeah. uh, engineers try to make things more difficult uh, when it comes to words um, so knowing that I actually had zero experience in being a SCADA engineer I was so thankful for my company that they had faith enough faith enough in me to give me that role mm. and through that role I got to work on projects in Australia Japan Scotland England France Casablanca and more um, Lots of life has actually happened since those days. Uh, today, I'm happily married. I'm happily married and a stay-at-home mom raising two mm-hmm. daughters. I still work remotely as a as a scada and emulation engineer for the same company. I have recently been appointed as a board member to a Crown Entity Board for Engineering Associates, and. As you mentioned before, I've just released my first children's STEM book called Buzz the Electron uh, which is aimed at introducing the concept of electricity to our, to our babies uh, with some fun and imagination.
0: Wow, well, that's uh, quite uh, a life already. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, I've tried to sum it up as much as I could. Please stop <laughs> me if, if you feel the need. I do have a, ten to, a tendency to talk a lot. <laughs> oh,
0: no, it's, uh, it's amazing. But it's uh, it's also quite uh, something that you find very often in the islands, people who had uh, so big experiences traveling so far and, and uh, like carrying several hats at the same time. I feel it's really something that uh, is... Uh, quite common actually in our islands and maybe more than uh, the opportunities you can find in like bigger markets somehow, which is always well, that's, surprising. That's,
1: that's right. Uh, this, I think, believe there's definitely a misconception about what life is like in the islands um, from the Western point of view. You know, a lot of us, a lot of the uh, Western society sees the Pacific Pacific living as um, probably disadvantaged, mm. uh, whereas we're in fact, uh, we're rich with opportunities, probably because of our size and our location, um, but we're definitely not disadvantaged.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with you. And, and we have a perspective that is uh, quite interesting also. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm curious to know a little bit more about this uh, specialty of yours, uh, mechatronic. Uh, I never heard about that. I'm sure a lot of people listening to us uh, haven't as well. So can you tell us a little bit about that and, and, and how is it relevant for the Pacific?
1: Sure, Um, so mechatronic engineering is a combination of the electrical, software and mechanical disciplines. Uh, Whenever there is an exchange between those engineering components, uh, mechatronics engineer is required for the integration. So if a machine is able to monitor its environment, process that data and then respond accordingly, that behavior is termed smart in the tech world Smart machines require mic- mechatronic engineers, and these days it's very unusual to develop a non-smart machine. My point being um, is that me- mechatronics can be applied to almost anywhere. Uh, just thinking about the areas relevant to the Pacific, uh, possibly um, natural disaster protection systems, if we were to mm-hmm. automate warnings and monitoring uh, that would come under me- mechatronics. Sustainable technology, so solar power systems would come under mechatronics. Uh, Marine technology, if we were to automate fishing or economical zone patrol or monitoring of the ecosystem, that can also come under mechatronics. So it's it's quite a large um, umbrella. Um, Now that's just a technical explanation of mechatronic engineering. But what it means to me, mechatronics, is freedom. Freedom to imagine design, and then build a solution. And in that respect, engineering as a practice is relevant to all of the Pacific and everyone in it.
0: Interesting. So basically, if I understood correctly, mechatronic is uh, the essential component that will help a machine uh, producing much more than just like a set of tasks, but having the ability to maybe be more adaptive or having like a broader range of uh, operation
1: that's right so so you can have mechanical engineers electrical engineers or software engineers but a mechatronics engineer can marry all of them together and there and is where i find the freedom because you've got flexibility and you can also uh, be involved with the design development and implementation of solutions
0: Mm. okay interesting so pretty much the enabler of uh, of interesting technologies
1: The bridge, yeah, (laughs) not not in terms of civil engineering.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a a different bridge. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we were we were talking about the fact that the Pacific is full of opportunities, but yet we are quite far from the main centers of innovation. And and when we talk about innovation, one must think first about the US, Europe, China, all those uh, places. Uh, yet, we're still, we still have some tech communities that have been created in our islands, but it's still a very young movement. Um, do you think that in the context of our region, it's important for our people to be more involved in, in this sector such as yours?
1: Um, absolutely. Absolutely, it's important. Look, because our nations are bliss enough to be surrounded by the Pacific Ocean, I think it's easy for us to believe that we are isolated and have control over external influences, but that's an illusion. Whether we like it or not, the world continues to advance technologically, Mm -hmm. uh, becoming more automated and more connected. Uh, the, The effect of this is experienced by us as our world getting smaller, so that even the far corners of the earth are accessible. And I believe that's a wonderful thing. But what it means for us in the Pacific is that we are also accessible. And unless we're willing to give up the mod cons of today, like the internet or international trade, you can't stop technology coming to us. Therefore, we do need to get more involved because what's the alternative? If we play ignorant and shun the movement, then we make ourselves only vulnerable to the effects of technology, when instead we could embrace the knowledge and potentially become contributors and drivers of its direction, uh, which puts us in a position of control. We could ensure that the tech used in the Pacific stays true to our cultural values. Um, what's an example? For, for example, environmental sustainability is a common Pacific value looking, mm. looking after our land and sea. Um, in the Cook Islands, and I'm sure all around the Pacific, if the sea life in the lagoon is depleted, it is very normal for the leaders to declare Araui. Uh, for those who are listening, Araui is basically an area where any form of fishing is forbidden, and mm. only when the sea life has been restored. Will the ratui be lifted? Um, now, if lagoon fishing technology became automated, we would want to make sure that the marine system, is, the marine ecosystem, is being monitored, and that a raui is also automated as part of the new system. And uh, that's an example I can think of of you know bringing some Pacific mindness mm. to technology as it as it evolves.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting that you're using the concept of the Rahui, because it's indeed a traditional way of managing the maritime space, basically, uh, whether the lagoon or all the areas around the, the islands. Uh, yet it has found a new, more modern uh, use uh, because of the uh, environmental issues that we are living right now. Yeah. So, um, When you talk to people in the island, sometimes you see them opposing modernity uh, and tradition or tech and tradition. Um, Mm. My point of view from my special position, because I I was not born there, but I've lived there most of my life, is when I look at the navigators and and, and all those great uh, canoes and all that, I believe the Pacific people have been engineers all their lives. And I found a quote from you, uh, which I think means that you probably agree with that vision also, when you say, our ancestors were engineers and creatives pioneering around the Pacific on vessels design and manufacture by themselves. For mm-hmm. me to be an engineer almost feels like continuing tradition. And, and I found this quote very interesting. So how do you think we can bridge, and back on the concept, the metaphor of bridge, between Pacific culture and the need uh, to engineer and create solutions for the future?
1: You know what, Philippe, this has been a topic for discussion since as long as I can remember. Um, how does modernization fit with our traditional culture? Um, and to me, traditional culture is a funny thing uh, because at some point in time, the things we regard now as traditional have to have first been introduced as something new, right?
0: Mm, that's true. Because
1: nothing has, nothing has existed forever. Um, something is created and is the modern thing. And after an amount of time, it becomes traditional because a new modern thing has taken its place. And I believe that is a very normal and natural progression of culture. I mean, can you imagine what our world would look like if our ancestors had said no to the first vodka that was built mm. because it was new technology? <laughs> culture has to be fluid. Um, I personally find it helpful to break down culture into two parts traditions and values values are our foundation and beliefs while the traditions are the practices that surround our values now i believe cultural traditions do change however cultural values should not and this is what i think our people today need to keep in mind Uh, uh, for example of a traditional tradition that's changed Um, i love cook island dance I haven't danced since my wedding day, but I still watch the local competitions every year. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows that if you look at footage of the local dancers 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago, the dance technique has changed significantly. Today in the Cook Islands, the dance movements are much more concise and controlled compared to previously and even the costume norms have progressed aesthetically and structurally but no one's really opposed to that are they Um, what our people need to realize is that willingness to change and move with the times is not throwing away tradition if anything it's keeping tradition Mm. because our ancestors were willing to voyage out into the ocean and change their homelands their clothes changed their language changed what really matters, I believe, is that our cultural values are carried over to the new traditions and technologies. And to ensure that happens, it's imperative that we have Pacific people involved with the development of new technologies. Mm. There's no stopping technology coming to us. So if we don't put our culture into the technology that we're consuming, then we'll be consuming someone else's culture. And mm. that's when a culture can be lost.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a, a very important point that you're raising here is that most of people's resistance toward technology or innovation is due to the fact that it it's kind of imposed on them, such as like social media have been imported and they mm. come from a different value system. They come from a different way of life uh, compared to our islands. And and I was talking about that with uh, in a previous episode with uh, Taiwan Digital Minister, Audrey Tang, who's uh, quite a reference in social innovation and and I was asking her uh, how we make sure that technology or innovation still remains a good thing for people and not becomes harmful. And she told me what's well, easy when it's designed from the people's perspective. Yeah, mm. um, I'm Philip, the host of the Pacific Talks and also the founder of Pacific Ventry. If you like this podcast, you may be interested to discover our weekly newsletter, The Global Tiller. In a five minutes reading, we give you a new and fresh perspective on global trends and issues. From the Pacific to South Asia, discover our analysis of global challenges done from a point of view that is not one of the major centers of influence. A good way to change your approach to major topics. If you're looking for a different way to understand the news, subscribe for free at The Global Tiller find out more on the global or on pacificventure.com/newsletters hope to see you there so do you think that's exactly what is important right now in the pacific is to catch up on the race to say okay now we're going to Create our own technology or, or at least reappropriate the technology, the existing technology to make sure it's relevant for our context, for our values, for our social organizations and stuff.
1: Yes, yes, as I mentioned before, um, that is exactly the reason Pacific people need to become more proactive and technically inclined is so that we, uh, we as a people can influence the direction of technology within the Pacific and make it more uh, yeah, more, uh, Pacific-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and also so that we can ensure our cultural values are translated appropriately into the new systems in tech. Uh, values like... Um, respect for the environment, respect for the elderly, respect for the deceased, um, respect for families and for communities as a whole, rather than just being business-minded. Um, but how do we get people interested, uh, I think, mm. is, the, is the tricky part. <laughs> Three points That's come true. to mind. Um, firstly... As I mentioned before, we need to raise awareness that contrary to common belief, technology needs to be embraced and directed in order to save our cultures. Uh, Secondly, I think our people who have been already educated in tech need to somehow be incentivized to move back to their home islands so that those skills and possibilities can be more visible to to our communities, and then their focus shifted back to pacific-minded solutions. Um, And lastly, we need to remind our people, as you mentioned before, that our our ancestors were engineers and adventurers, so it's in our blood. And when I say it's in our blood, I really mean it. Um, I've recently read a study around epigenetics, which is fascinating stuff. So epigenetics is the study of how external influences and experiences can influence the dna of an organism mm. and uh, there was an experiment that basically proved uh the memory of uh navigating through a maze was passed out from a mom to well, so from a mother mouse to her offspring no. uh, which is which is very exciting so what very fascinating you look it up epigenetics so when when i say it's in our blood the fact that our ancestors were pioneers and problem solvers and engineers and adventurers it literally is in our blood mm, yeah <laughs> so uh for us as a pacific for us as a pacific people even as an individual um to practice engineering and uh, or you know problem solving and building and creating mm. fulfills that at a genetic level so it, it's it's good for the virwa. It's good for the soul.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And uh, so is it somehow uh, what you've tried to achieve with your children's book by raising interest in science uh, in kids at the earliest age to make sure that they grow up with the feeling that science is part of their lives and maybe telling it through the stories that we used to hear here and using like local context, local uh, imagination to like, kind of like bridge everything together and and start from the beginning?
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. Well, hey, storytelling is part of what we do, right? Us Pacific Islanders are really good at telling stories and enjoy Mm. it. Um, And when it comes to science and the Pacific, um, for me, science is the freedom to be curious and ask questions and then find the answers. Uh, so we can't shy away from science and tech in general, because science itself is only a tool. Uh, and it's the, wheeler, the wielder of the tool that decides the nature of the work done. And if we, as Pacific nations, are afraid that the power of tech is being driven by I don't know, the wrong people for the wrong reasons, that's all the more reason for us to get involved and take some control. With the release of my first uh, children's book, the Electron, the aim is not even to generate interest. It's just to get the next generation comfortable with the tech concepts, mm. to remove the perception of science and tech being too difficult for us Islanders to understand. I, I believe that our concerns around losing our culture to new tech is only one of the reasons our people have not yet embraced uh, the science and tech industries. The other reason is because from an early age, we Polynesians generally tend to shy away from maths and science. Mm. Maybe it's because the applications and the value of science aren't obvious enough uh, during our island upbringing. Or maybe it's because we think it's just too difficult. Mm. Um, And that's the attitude I'm hoping to disarm with my children's books. Uh, By introducing the basic concepts early in a fun and friendly way, the next Pacific generation will at least be comfortable enough with science to find out that maybe they even enjoy it. (laughs) 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 In which case, I'd hope to see the numbers of Pacific people in tech increase and consequently uh, the growth in Pacific-minded technology. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's why I'm starting with the young ones.
0: That's interesting. One thing I've noticed here, and mostly into the entrepreneurial field, but I'm wondering if it could apply to tech is that the way we teach entrepreneur, uh, we teach science, we teach all those fields. uh, It's taught in a way that fits kids in other contexts in Europe, in the U S and et cetera. Do you think we should completely rethink the way we teach science in the Pacific islands in order to make it more relevant or more easy to understand, not in the way like of intellectual abilities, but in a way like, okay, I can understand why science is important for me on a daily basis in my island. And because it's a traditional thing anyway.
1: Definitely. Um, I, I definitely think it's worth considering. Obviously it will be a large effort to rewrite the curriculum. Hmm. Um, but for the young ones to have things relatable and relevant to them that's the most powerful way to learn right because it's not Mm -hmm. something abstract in the classroom i remember i particularly remember a, a module in biology class that i was doing by correspondence and I really disliked that module because we were studying ecosystems and sea life, but they were talking about these shells and seaweed and barnacles that I actually haven't seen. They're not here in Raro. And so it's I'm trying to understand these make-believe creatures and pretend that I know I've seen these patterns on the beach when I haven't. Um, so I still pass, but it was it was a very strange way of learning. Um, definitely what you suggested uh, making making the content more relatable and applicable to our island lives uh, can only help us along this journey. Mm. And I do intend to do a bit of that with the books I re- with the books I release. I mean, the 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 primary content is about science as content as a concept, but because it's I'm having fun with it, I can I can make uh, comparisons and metaphors to that relate to Pacific life. Mm. Uh, for example. The next book I'm working on is about a photon which is uh, introducing the science of light, and I'm thinking of comparing, you know the, the frequency of a color uh, and compare, compare it to like the wriggle or the sway of a rarotung and dance. Mm. Um, so, so they get that it's a vibration. Nice. Um, <laughs>
0: That's Super interesting. It could be done in Tahiti also with the Orit ATM show. It could, yeah, yeah, share yeah. A higher frequency in Tahiti, huh? Much higher, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Well, you're gonna have uh, interesting stories to um, uh, write for kids with the latest discoveries on muons and all that that I read about recently. So, I'm guessing a lot of new metaphors to find for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, should be fun. <laughs>
0: All right, I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, another element that is important when uh, when we know about your life. Uh, as I said, you are now referred to as the first Pacific woman to hold a degree in mechatronics, um, and, and I believe the woman element is is important. But uh, how is it important for you uh, to motivate women to follow your examples, whether in engineering or any other scientific field? Uh, And in in our communities today's uh, where we, as we said, juggle between tradition and outside have uh, influence, how can women play a role to bridge those two worlds?
1: Um, There's no question that it is indeed a juggle between traditions and outside influences. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, to avoid driving a car, using a phone, flushing a toilet, or using electricity in the name of keeping tradition is at the very least impractical. (laughs) So a balance must be struck between our culture and outside influences. And from my point of view, women can help facilitate this balance uh, in two ways. Firstly, they can influence the direction of technology by being involved themselves in the tech industries. Um, It's important for me to have women in tech because to develop solutions that benefit women, families and communities, you need a woman's perspective involved. Uh, Secondly, women influence the values of the next generation because we are the mothers of our Pacific communities and uh, we collectively, have a very strong influence on the values passed down to our children. And by instilling our cultural values into our children, as well as gearing them up to be comfortable and involved in tech, I believe women play a crucial role in the survival of our culture.
0: Interesting. Yeah, the, I was watching recently the documentary "Coded Bias on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's thanks to women uh, and minority women that we have Basically, aware uh, we are aware now that uh, algorithms are biased because all the people working on that were white men. So obviously, they just did the work on their own perspective. So uh, mm. definitely prove the fact that not only we need more women, but we need people from different cultures to make sure that the innovation take care of their own uh, problems and situations and perspective on the world.
1: Mm.
0: All right. Uh, so at this stage of the podcast, what I like to do usually is to kind of have mine colliding with each other, uh, a great mind against uh, another great mind. And I, and I go dig into the books that I read uh, to find a quote that I will um, read to you and, and have your view uh, on that. So for you, I chose a book from Stuart Russell. Uh, you probably know uh, this uh, writer and academic Uh very famous in the field of uh, artificial intelligence. And his uh, recent book is called Human Compatible. And he says this, more than 100 billion people have lived on earth. They have spent on the order of 1 trillion person years learning and teaching in order that our civilization may continue. Up to now, it's its only possibility for continuation has been through recreation in the minds of new generation that is now changing increasingly, it is possible to place our knowledge into machines that by themselves can run our civilization for us. So what do you think of this quote? And especially in the context of the Pacific where the passing of knowledge has been interrupted at some point because of history and where we need more than ever to ensure the continuity of our local knowledge. So how can the engineering process come into play for in that specific matter?
1: Um, I don't think we should be afraid of transferring our knowledge to machines. We can do that as well as, uh, as continue our person-to-person methods if we like. You know, archiving our history has always been a thing that we do through mm. paintings, carvings, songs, stories, you name it. Um, using the new technology to archive our knowledge is natural progression uh, from my point of view. So it's, it's a win-win if you ask me. Uh, However, the alarming part of what Stuart Russell writes is when he implies that civilization will be run for for us by the Mm. machines. And as much as I am pro and excited about the advancements of tech, even I'm concerned about that notion.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: Artificial intelligence and data collection are both amazing as well as dangerous uh, developments in the tech world. Most engineers I know have their laptop cameras always covered. And uh, when Apple updated their software to show you when an app was accessing your camera microphone, you realize that we really are being watched all the time. Mm. Um, But it's all in the name of progress and convenience because more data obviously makes it easier for an AI to be of service to us. But if we want to ensure that our knowledge is not forgotten and that our cultural values are being respected by the new artificial intelligence operations, again, we need to get more of our people on the development side of tech instead of just the consumer side.
0: Mm, indeed, I agree. And do you think that's also how the Pacific values, the way that we have respect for? Uh, our elders, respect for the community, respect for the land, mm. and, and all those elements you just mentioned. Uh, do you think that those values could be key in in preventing this kind of uh, dystopian future that we all uh, are afraid of for good reasons?
1: Um, I think we need to make them key, um, maybe not to prevent, but to at least set some boundaries and restrictions, mm. um, because the 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 possibilities that come out of artificial intelligence, though a bit creepy, are also very helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. What we need to do is be in full control of how this tool is developed so that it is only helpful and not controlling us.
0: I see. Interesting. All right. Uh, my last question for you. Uh, I've already picked your brain a lot. Um, but it's <laughs> a, a more open one. I don't know one. if
1: it's the weather, but all these questions I'm sweating
0: I <laughs> don't <laughs> the point but <laughs> I'm glad you made all this effort <laughs> um, so last question uh, what would be your advice or recommendation to any person who would like to become an agent of change for his or her community or for the globe in general but regarding all the challenges that we've talked about uh, today can feel helpless for now, what, what would you say to someone, uh, knowing what you've accomplished yourself, knowing what, all that you've done already?
1: Um, I like that question. I, I don't think that I'm qualified to advise on being a world changer. <laughs> but what I would definitely say is change starts with you. Uh, It's often said that the biggest battle goes on between your ears, you know? Self-doubt, unbelief, and feeling helpless. And you can't hope to make changes that are beneficial to others if you yourself are feeling helpless. Um, And from my experience, those kinds of feelings are rooted in a lack of understanding about the world and how it works. Thankfully, we never actually are helpless even though you may feel like it, there's always something you can do to take command of your life uh, within your sphere of influence. And however small or big that sphere is, you can do the research and be the change. If you're able to improve your life and those around you, people will always want to know the secret. And in my opinion, that is the way to make a lasting impact. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, could I sum it up by saying be curious and, uh, and be bold as the way you've been when you decided to take this job in this company?
1: Uh, yes, be curious, be bold, and also take responsibility for mm. it. Um, so go and do the research yourself, educate yourself on the issue, and if you know the solution, then you yourself push it. Mm rather right. than just being a keyboard warrior or a <laughs> protestaholic, you know, yeah. be, be the change yourself.
0: Yeah. Uh, don't stay behind the screen, use it uh, properly and then go act on the reality.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Interesting. All right. Uh, Joanna Marururua, thank you very much uh, for uh, coming on this show and sharing your amazing uh, life experience Uh done quite some amazing thing and continue to inspire our young uh, scientists and uh, and creators of the pacific uh, through your job
1: oh thank you so much philippe for having me on i feel so privileged it's been real fun
0: <laughs> thanks have a good day bye Hey, it's Philippe again. I hope that you enjoyed this new episode of our Pacific Talks. Joanna's career and life is really inspiring and it's interesting how she manages to get the best of all worlds in order to ensure that her and her community are ready for the challenges to come. If you've liked this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to never miss any of our coming episodes. And you can also discover our previous ones and enjoy some diverse conversations. And because we're in the sharing economy, how about sharing this episode to your friends, colleagues and family, if you think they can enjoy it? Our goal is to spark conversations and ideas in our communities, in the Pacific, but also everywhere, and make sure our Pacific voices are heard on global issues. The Pacific Talks will come back in a month with a new inspiring leader from a Pacific region, to tackle and talk about other issues, other global challenges to come. Until then, take care. And if you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email, contact at pacificventry.com and share your thoughts. See you then.